0: Imagine with me for a moment that there's a a businessman, and he wants to start a car manufacturing company, okay? He doesn't really know anything about manufacturing cars, building cars, but it's always been a dream, so he just wants to start one. And he's got tons of money. So he goes out, and he says, okay, I know I'm going to need some workers, some guys who can do this, uh, but he doesn't find skilled workers or anything. He just finds, like, the first 200 guys he can find who seem like nice people, okay? And he hires these nice people. And then he goes out and he buys all the raw materials that he can think of. He just looks at an automobile and thinks, okay, I need to buy some glass. I need to buy some rubber. I need to buy some some metal, some aluminum, uh, some petroleum, whatever else. I just, I got to have all the raw materials. And he gets them all. He has all the raw materials that you need for a vehicle. He has that. So he has his 200 workers who don't know anything about cars. He has all the raw materials that you need to make, build a car. And he just gives this stuff to these guys. He says, all right. Work hard, and I can't wait to see the car that you can build. And he leaves, and he comes back, and uh, about a year later, and he's all excited. Oh, man, I can't wait to see how many vehicles they built. And these guys—they've been working hard the whole time. You know, they've been at it, uh, trying to figure it out. And he comes back, and how many cars do you think they built? Zero. None. They don't know how to build a car. There's no, there's no model. There's no blueprint. There's, there's nothing. They just, they just got raw materials, and somehow they got to turn those materials into a car. You know. One of the things I love about God is he doesn't just give us a mission and then say, hey, you know, have at it. You know, we'll see what happens. You know, go make disciples. But I don't, you know, you're on your own to figure out what a disciple is or how to do that. No, what does Jesus do? He models for us how he made disciples. It's not just, hey, go make disciples, share Jesus, impact people. It's Jesus modeled for us how he did it. So we have a blueprint. We we have something we can look at, a model that we can follow. During this series, our kind of Thanksgiving series, we're just kind of asking the key questions. We're we're looking at five key questions as a church that we just want to be intentional about asking one another in order to spur our growth and our maturity in Jesus Christ. As we looked at last week, hey, once you're saved, you all start off as spiritual infants, right? But God doesn't want to leave us as spiritual infants. He wants us to grow into maturity. And so the first question that we asked is, How are you being changed by Jesus? This week, we're going to ask a second question. And that question is, hey, who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into to see them take the next step in maturity? We saw Jesus do that with his disciples. So how are we doing it? Uh, In order to kind of walk through this with you, I want to take you back to the four chairs of discipleship. It's been a little bit since we've gone over this as a church, and for some of you it might be new, but we just want to go through the four chairs of discipleship while we're thinking through the question, who's discipling me and who am I discipling? All right, let's go ahead and get started. John chapter 1, verses 35 and through 39. That's where we'll begin. John 1, 35 through 39. John writes, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. To help you picture the scene just a little bit, Okay, you've got John the baptizer there. Okay, that's who's there. And he sees Jesus walking by and he just shouts out, hey, behold the Lamb of God, all right? Now, John, he's got some disciples and two of his disciples is John, the one who wrote the book, not John the baptizer, the other John, and then also Andrew. And, you know, they've been with John the baptizer a little bit, they've heard his teaching. And John, you know, he's kind of a weird dude, okay? He he wears camel's hair. His hair's all like uncupped and grown out, a scraggly beard. He eats locusts and wild honey. I mean, he's, he's a little bit strange. But he sees Jesus, and he cries out, behold the Lamb of God. And so you can almost imagine that John and Andrew, they're saying, okay, let's, let's see if everything that John's been saying, if it's really true. Let's start following Jesus a little bit. So they leave John the baptizer, and they start following Jesus. And Jesus notices and says, what are you guys up to? And he said, well, hey, where are you staying? The implication being, hey, we just want to follow you for a little bit here. We want to learn from you. We want to sit at your feet. We want you to teach us, Rabbi. Teach us. And so John's Gospel tells us it's about the 10th hour. That's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, The Jewish day ends at sunset. So you've got, let's just say, roughly two hours to go in the day. And for those two hours, Jesus is going to spend time teaching John and Andrew explaining to him that he is the Christ and he's teaching them. But, uh, and you get the excitement of it all because when you skip down verse 41, you see Andrew's response as they have these conversations with Jesus and Jesus proves he's the Messiah. Andrew goes away from that conversation, finds his brother Peter and says, we found the Christ. Right? You, can, you can hear the excitement in his voice. We found him. This is the guy we've talked about and longed for, the Messiah. We found him. Here's the point. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what do you really need? What's chair one? You need to connect with God. You need a relationship with Jesus. That's what you most fundamentally need. And so chair one, it's a chair of infancy. It's, it's a spiritual baby who needs a relationship with God. That's what he needs most. And see, some of us, sometimes we can look at the world who desperately needs a relationship with Jesus, and we can be frustrated because the world's value system is messed up. The world's morality is all out of whack. I mean, we look at how they live their lives and what they prioritize and everything. We say, oh, what? oh we just, you got to do things differently. Listen, what people most need who don't have a relationship with Jesus is not a better morality, is not a new value system. No, what they most need is a relationship with Jesus because Jesus transforms all that. Understand, chair one is this chair of connection. And when you're engaging with people in this chair or or, or who are not yet connected to God, you're going to hear them say things like, "Uh, you know, I think religion is more like a crutch for the weak. You know, I don't think I really need that. You know, it works for you. That's great. But uh, it's just not my thing. Or, you know, I think there's probably many paths to God. You know, maybe you found one. I, I think I can find my own. Right, you'll hear things like that. But as they enter into a relationship with God, they've connected to God. Now what do they most need? Well, they need to connect with the family of God. Because Jesus doesn't just say, okay, hey, you know me, we're in a relationship, you're good. No, no, he adopts you into a family. God adopts you into the family. And so now what do you need? You need relationships relationship with the family of God. You need to gather with the family of God. You need to know uh, other believers who, who are living this life just like you. You need to know people and be known by people. And so sometimes we, we, you enter in this chair, it's this chair of spiritual infancy, it's a baby, and so what will what you sometimes hear there? Well, you know, nature is kind of my church. Um, yeah, I'm happy just me alone with Jesus. That's all I really need. That's all I really want. And No, what do you need here? You need to connect with the family of God. The author of Hebrews says, hey, don't neglect gathering together. Some are in the habit of doing it, don't you, right? You gather with the family of God because you need it. And so people here, they need just to establish this as a priority in their life. Or, hey, there's other things that uh, maybe that sounds more appealing. Or, you know, I've got all these options. Those options sound better. I'd rather just sleep in or whatever the case may be. You know, when you're in this chair, number one thing you need to do is, hey, enter into that relationship with God, and then grow, and, and, and then gather with the family of God, to be with the family of God. Chair one is a chair of connection. Um, listen, there's nothing wrong with being a spiritual baby, okay? We all start there. No, nobody just like enters into a relationship with Jesus, and they enter right into maturity, right? It doesn't happen. We all start as spiritual infants who need to grow. There's nothing wrong. The, the problem comes is when we stay there or we don't have other people who are further along coming alongside of us and say, Hey, you can't just be a disconnected member of the family. No, 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 gather. Well, let me teach you what a relationship with Jesus looks like and grounds them in that way. And by the way, just because you're in chair one doesn't mean you can't have impact, okay? Babies, they impact all of us, right? They bring a lot of joy to the family. It's, it's a good thing. You see Andrew. He's just now following Jesus. He's just sat and learned who Jesus was, and what does he do? He runs and tells his brother, "Hey, Peter, we found the Christ!" Right? You can still have impact, but what do you need most? You need that relationship with Jesus, and you need to grow, you need to connect with the family of God. All right, let's move on. Chair two. Uh, this is a chair of growth. This is for the person who's they're, they're connected to God. They have a relationship with Jesus and they've made gathering with the family and being known by the family of God a priority in their lives, what do they need? Let's go back to John chapter 1, this time verses 43 through 46. It reads, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. In John chapter 1, when you go through it, there's this repeated phrase. You see it in verse 29, verse 35, and you see it here in verse 43. It's the next day. Okay, the next day, the next day, the next day. What's happening? Jesus is continuing to going out, okay? He's on the move. He doesn't just stay still. He's on the move. And on this day, he sees Philip. Philip is from the same town as Andrew and Peter. Some theologians speculate that uh, Andrew and Peter, that they might have gone to their friend Philip and told them about Jesus. And, and Philip might have had a little pre-knowledge before this conversation with Jesus because when Jesus calls Philip, It's a different command than when he first started interacting with Andrew and John. He says, follow me. And and that literally means to line up behind, okay, to learn from, to join me on mission, so to speak. And this is a higher challenge. If you continue reading through the Gospel of John, uh, what you see is Jesus, he takes these guys, he's got some disciples now, and he takes these men to Cana. Cana is Nathanael's hometown, and while in Cana, Jesus performs his first miracle. He turns water into wine, right? It's it's an exciting thing at this wedding, and so you see the excitement of a relationship with Jesus, the the, the goodness of it all there. From there, Jesus takes the guys back into Jerusalem, Um, and in Jerusalem, uh, what does Jesus do? Well, he's flipping over the, the tables of the money changers and things like this. And here you see the passion of Jesus, the boldness of God for the purity of who Jesus is and what he's, what he's calling them to in a relationship with him. And then in John chapter three, Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus at nighttime. Okay, for those of you who are older, this is Nick at night on how to get into a relationship with God, okay? It's, he's, he's talking with Nicodemus at nighttime and he says, hey, here's what spiritual birth is all about. And here's here's what it looks like. Here's how you're born again. And so he has that conversation. After he has that conversation, you get to verse 22. And in verse 22, it simply says Jesus spent time with his disciples. He just kind of hung out with his disciples. And so what's he doing? Throughout all this, he's just simply spending time with these guys. He's modeling for them. He's teaching to them. They're asking questions. Jesus is asking questions of them to help their learn. They're asking questions of Jesus. They're eating together. They're walking together. They're doing life together. What's he doing? He's helping these guys grow. He's not leaving them where they're at. He's helping them grow. Then after 18 months, Jesus takes these guys, and it was all in, in Israel. After 18 months, Jesus makes this statement. I must go into Samaria. Now, when you fast forward to the book of Acts and you see the persecuted church and you wonder how in the world was the church like ready and equipped to leave Israel after they've been persecuted and go elsewhere, it's because Jesus discipled them to be ready, right? So then when the persecution came, they were equipped and they were ready to leave Israel. They were ready to leave Jerusalem because they had been equipped because back here as Jesus is discipling these guys, Uh, listen, no good Jew ever went to Samaria. That just didn't happen. Any good Jew, you actually walked around Samaria. Samaria was that out-of-bounds place. But this is the first cross-cultural mission opportunity that you see in the scriptures as Jesus takes these guys into Samaria and they're doing ministry there. Notice, everything that's happening is so that these guys can grow. He's equipping these guys to grow. Uh, you remember when Jesus first met Andrew and, and Peter in, in uh, Matthew chapter four, one of the first things he says is, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the primary step for someone in chair two is growth. What do I really need? I really just need to be grounded in who Jesus is and, who, and, and, and what he's done. That's what I need to learn. I need to learn who I am. It's a chair of growth where you're getting into the word and you're beginning to understand the word and you're praying And you're beginning to develop your spiritual gifts and understand what they are. That's what's happening here. That's chair two. It's a chair of growth. And uh, those of you who are parents, you know how exciting growth can be, right? Because when your child is a a baby and they don't know how to feed themselves, it's really exciting when they begin to grow. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're learning how to feed themselves. Now, the process is messy, right? They're getting food all over their face, food in their hair, food on the floor, food everywhere. But eventually what happens? They're going to get in their mouth. They can feed themselves. It's exciting. You know, it's the same way they're learning to walk. And as they're learning to walk, it can, be, it can be a little painful, perhaps. Maybe they're falling down. They're bumping their knees. They're bumping their heads. They get tired quickly. They're kind of stumbling around. But the next thing you know, what happens? They're running everywhere. It's, it's exciting to use the bathroom. Right, You don't no longer need diapers and wipes and all this kind of stuff. All of a sudden, hey, they can go by themselves. They can clean up after themselves. It's an exciting thing. Growth is exciting. And that's what's happening here. It's this chair of childhood where growth is beginning to happen. But as you're interacting with people in chair two, when you hear their language and you hear them talk, uh, the language is often very me-centric. And so you'll hear things like, oh, I really liked that, uh, that song oh, that, that speaker there, I really liked him and what he said. And, oh, that really ministered to me. That really fed me. This is what I want. It's very I-centric, me-oriented language that you'll hear as a chair, a chair too. Why? Because you're a spiritual child. And so you think in terms of me, self, I. This, this, this is the way we think. And so what do they long for? They long for affirmation and they long to be included. I've I got to be in on the program and I need to know that you think I'm doing good. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being a spiritual child. What what becomes problematic is when you stay a spiritual child, right? Because we're called to grow and we're called to mature and we need people who will disciple us into greater levels of maturity. Um, So here it's growing in your relationship with Jesus. After Jesus had been with his disciples for about a year and a half and he takes them through Samaria, they get back into Jerusalem and Then you see what happens, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So here, Jesus, he's taken his disciples throughout all the cities, all the villages, and he's showing them the love that he has for the people. He, he, they're, they're watching Jesus as he's doing these miracles and he's serving people, and they're watching his love and his cares. He's just weeping over these people because he sees their condition they're like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. But then he calls them to be part of the solution because he says, hey, you need to pray for laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the chair three laborers, the chair three workers, the chair three servants, they are few. So pray. And then, and then, and then what happens? Well, you turn around, you keep reading, and then he sends them out. He says, All right, hey, you prayed for workers? Guess what? You get to be workers now. All right, you get to be the answer to your own prayer. How exciting is that? Okay, and he sends them out in twos so that they can work and they can go and they can interact with people. Understand, the Christian life is not a natural life. And and so this is a hard, this is a hard jump to make. The jump from chair two to chair three, from childhood to young adulthood to spiritual young adulthood, is a difficult jump that not many people make. Jesus said it, okay? The laborers are few. Most people stay as as spiritual babies and spiritual children. They don't graduate to the point of actually being chair three workers, chair three servants, chair three laborers. Why? Because it's a struggle, This is where you're sharing sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. And it's not a natural thing to do. But the Christian life is not a natural life where God just gives us a a list of responsibilities and laws and says, okay, do this and then I'll be happy with you. No, no, the the Christian life is a supernatural life where the life of Christ is now expressed through you. And you're doing things that you couldn't dream you could do because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And and you, you understand that you are sent as missionaries. You know, one of the things that Jesus does is during this time frame, you'll see 17 different times in the Gospels where Jesus is interacting with large crowds of people. 17 times he's feeding them, he's teaching, he's doing different things with large crowds. 46 times you see Jesus having intimate conversations with his disciples. 46 times he's just getting them alone and they're asking questions and he's teaching them. Why? Because Jesus is laser focused I'm making sure that these guys mature to the point where they can be disciple makers themselves. It's not just, hey, watch what I'm doing, but it's, hey, watch with a purpose because I want to develop you so that you can impact people as well. And so this is a chair of being a laborer, a worker, a servant. Um, And this is hard for a number of reasons. One, it's a struggle. Uh, You know how it is when you're a child, especially if you came from, like a, a healthy family. When you're a child, you're shielded from a lot, you know? Like your, your parents don't just let you in on, hey, here, here's, here's all the struggles and the pain and all the hardship of life. Hey, you you kind of want to protect your children from some of that. Children, they don't have the responsibility of trying to put food on the table. Children don't have the responsibility of trying to make sure you get a house to live in. Children don't have all those responsibilities, right? That's, that's the job of a parent, the parent has those responsibilities. And you don't want the children to have those responsibilities, right? You want them to grow. You want them to learn. You want them to develop. Okay, it's safe as a child. And then what happens? You grow and you enter into the real, real world and you understand, man, the world can be painful. There's a lot of hurts out there. It, it, it's hard. It's, this is not always fun. Listen, this is the jump that you make and the culture is always telling you, hey, Don't make that jump, Christian. Just stay right here. You can stay where it's safe, and you can stay where it's comfortable. You don't need to bring your Jesus into the world because we don't want him. That's what culture is telling us. And so some of us, we retreat back, and we say, you know what? I'll just stay here. I can just stay in the growth phase. I I can read, and I can pray, and that'll be good. But the call of Jesus is, no, no, no. I want workers. I want laborers. I want some servants. And so... In some ways, the American church has not really pushed us to be workers, laborers, servants. In some ways, we've developed a discipleship strategy that says, no, no, you can just stay over here and we'll call that good. And so in a lot of American evangelical churches, what's the discipleship strategy? It's, hey, believe in Jesus, okay? Believe, and then once you believe, and you come, you're kind of hanging around us. Uh, we'll teach you some things to do and, and how you should interact and, 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 how, and your morality and what that should look like. That's how you should behave. So believe, behave, and, you know what? and then you can just belong. You, know, you can find your place here in the family. That'll be good. Believe, behave, belong. But when you come to the Scripture and you open up the Bible, you see an entirely different discipleship strategy emerge. I mean, just go to Acts and look at Paul. Paul almost reverses it, really. It's almost like he belongs in the culture. Like he inserts himself in the culture and he learns some of the cultural norms and all this. And so he's able to have conversations. He's belonging and then he's behaving and then he's calling the people to believe. See, he almost the, the biblical strategy almost flips the American evangelical strategy on its head of discipleship. Because American evangelicalism, we like to say, hey, come, come, see what's going on here. Hopefully you'll like it, and then maybe you can stay and just be comfortable and you'll like it. You know, this is a great church for you. The discipleship plan we see in the Bible is quite different. It says be, be grounded in who you are in Christ. Know who Christ has made you to be, and then go, go make disciples and do the work that I've called you to do. It's be, do, go, not come, see, stay. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? He didn't just stay in a place where it was safe and comfortable up in heaven and just said, "Hey guys, try to come see if you can make it to me." You know, we'll see who can jump the furthest, get down because no one can. So what does Jesus do? He leaves the comfort of heaven, he leaves the safety of heaven, the perfection of heaven with the Father, and he goes. He crosses culture and he enters into this culture, and it wasn't pretty, right? He was mocked, he was scorned, he was ultimately crucified. And the command that he gives us is the exact same thing as his followers. Go make disciples. Not put up welcome banners. Understand, if you can just imagine with me that this is the biggest jump from chair two to chair three. And if you can imagine that this gap right here is culture. And the reason why this jump is so hard to make is because it's at this point where you're crossing into culture to be a servant, to be a worker, to be a laborer. And so th- this is the hardest jump to make. And we, we sometimes want to say, when we talk about serving, uh, the way sometimes the American evangelical church seems to think of serving is, hey, find a ministry at the church building that you can plug into and just and do that. That's serving. Listen, that's good. Uh, I'm not saying that's not good. Like we need people to do that. But that's like a child doing their chores, right? Why do you give chores to a child? So that they can mature, so that they can grow, so that they can be prepared for the real world, right? This here in the church building, that's where we do it in a safe place, in a comfortable place, where we're with the family, we're interacting with the family. So if we mess up, ah, people have grace, hopefully, right? You know, we, we, we pray for one another, we encourage each other, right? It should be a place of safety, but we're developing and we're learning what our spiritual gifts are so that we can cross the cultural divide and that we can actually go where we live, work, study, and play and engage people in culture just like Jesus did. Jesus doesn't just throw up welcome banners and say, come here, because then what are you asking? You're asking the culture to cross the cultural divide. We're saying, hey, we want you, culture, to leave where it's comfortable, to leave where it's safe for you, and we want you to cross the cultural divide and come over here where it's comfortable and safe for us. That's that's the attractional come, come mindset. But the command Jesus gives is quite opposite. He's go. Be workers, be laborers, meet them where it's comfortable for them. Meet them on their terms and you share Jesus with them. And then once they believe, then you get them to the church building, right? Disciple them to a place where they believe, then get them to the church building because then they're a part of the family. Uh, Understand when you're in chair three, what you need most is endurance. I mean, once, once you enter into this chair and you become an intentional worker, where I, I, I view my job intentionally. I want, I want to make disciples where I work. I'm, I'm going to see how I can have conversation, what doors open, but when they open, I'm ready. And when I look at my neighborhood, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, how can I take advantage of whatever opportunities are going on in my neighborhood because I want to be intentional there. And when you, and when you think about your school, those of you who are in school, like how can I be intentional with my classmates? Like what opportunities I'm thinking strategically. And, and then what happens? You're ready. You're ready to have those conversations. But you're doing it here in the context of the culture, not just saying, hey, come to where I am. And what happens when you do it in the context of culture is you'll have some battle wins because you're not always going to be received well. And you're entering into other people's pain and other people's messes because, listen, they've lived a life without Christ. And so their priorities have been different. They've been out of whack. And they've made choices that, hey, if they could take them back, I'm sure they would. Just like we've all made choices that if we could take them back, we would. But now we're entering into that. And sometimes you're looking and you say, I'm trying and I don't feel like I'm making any difference. See, this is a chair of endurance. Just as Jesus endured the cross, we endure our present circumstances, present sufferings. This is a chair where you're denying yourself. You're taking up your cross and you're following Jesus. I'm belaboring this chair because this is the hardest jump to make. Okay? It's a difficult jump to make. And when you're in this chair, what happens? Your language shifts. It's no longer about what I like and what I want and how I feel appreciated. Now it's all about others. It's like You're talking about your neighbors and you're talking about your coworkers. You're talking about different stuff. And how can we, how can we uh, minister to more people? How can we disciple more people? Like, what's our plan? How are we going to engage culture this way? Your, your language shifts. I can tell you, one of the guys who discipled me, his name was Howard Hendricks. And at his funeral, his son told this story about how uh, their church family was going through a, a pastoral transition. And during that period of time, they had different guys come up and, and speak. And, uh, and his son said, you know what? These guys, I'm sure they were phenomenally gifted, but I just don't think any of them really had the gift of public speaking. And so it was really painful for several weeks as they're just going through this transition. He says, but... As this is happening, you're trying to follow these guys. He's like, they're all over the map. They're not making points. It's really, it's really difficult. It's really a challenge. And they're just not engaging. He says, and I look over at my dad. And he's just like furiously taking notes. And I'm looking at him thinking, how are you getting anything from this? Like, I, I can't even barely follow the guy. Like, how are you getting this many notes from what this guy's saying? And so we asked him that question on their drive home. And Howard Hendricks told him, he says, listen, every time God's word is open, God has prepared a feast for me. It doesn't matter who's serving it, I'm going to eat. You see the point? When you're here, you know how to feed yourself. He said, I don't care, I don't care who's serving me the meal, I'm eating, right? That's, that's, a, that's maturity, that's where you say, hey, I can feed myself. This is, I'm past what we looked at last week. I'm past the I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of Peter. I'm past all this. I'm not, I'm not critiquing. I'm not playing those games. I just, I'm going to feast on God's word because I'm able to feed myself. This is a chair of maturity, but it's, it's a chair of endurance. It's a chair where you're living life and culture. It's a chair where you seek to serve people, where you live, work, study, and play. Let's get to chair four. It's John 15, one through eight. I don't have time to exegete the whole passage, but what I want you to see, a theme in here, is Jesus, as he's explaining this to to his disciples, did you you hear the fruit reference? At first, it's no fruit, right? You're not connected to me, there's no fruit. You begin a relationship with me, you connect with God, the family of God, what happens, there's fruit. And then as you're growing, what happens? Jesus is some pruning. He's he's trimming away the bad stuff. You're, You're becoming, he's changing you to look more like him as he's changing you to look more like him, what happens? There's more fruit. No fruit, fruit, more fruit. And then what happens? Where does he end up? Oh man, but I want you to bear much fruit because that glorifies my father. This is what he's called us to. He's called all of us to be in a place where we're bearing much fruit. Why? Because we're abiding in Jesus Christ. And as you continue this passage and you keep on reading, one of the things that Jesus says um, by the time you get down to John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you workers. I call you friends. Understand, chair four is a chair of friendship. It's a chair of deep intimacy with God. Because you understand, I can't do anything without him. Like any, any fruitfulness I have anything that I do that makes any bit of difference in this world, it's because I'm in step with the Spirit of God. I'm connected to Jesus, and Jesus is using me. I can't do anything without Him. That's this chair four. And this chair four is you're bearing much fruit. You know where this much fruit is happening? It's happening in the lives of other people because you begin to understand, hey, I can only do so much as I engage culture by myself, right? Or with with a friend. I I can only impact so many people. I only have so much time. My resources are capped. Like I can only do so much. But if I pour into other disciple makers and I equip them to be more effective in their disciple making, all of a sudden what happens? Now my fruit is growing on other people's trees. And I can look and I can say, oh man, look at how they're impacting people for Jesus. And I know that I had a little bit of part of that. Because I poured into them and I equipped them and now I'm seeing them flourish, right? We do this in all different areas of life, don't we? I mean, if, if you, you help someone at work to become a better worker at school, you know, you tutor somebody, all the, you're always, this is natural for life. But this is what he's calling us to do. Hey, I want to I use you to equip others to be more effective at, at their making disciples. This is a chair of intentionality, This is the chair of multiplication when all of a sudden you can look back and wow, there's all these disciple makers that I had a part in equipping and working with and developing. And so chair four, it looks back at all the other levels saying, you know what, I'm gonna pour into this chair one person. I'm gonna encourage them and I'm gonna celebrate with them. And it's so good that you now have a relationship with Jesus. Oh, you gotta come. You gotta get to know the family of God so that you can be known by them and you can know them. This is an exciting place to be, but then you're going to grow. And we want you to grow. And then you're reaching into the chair to person. You're saying, I want you to be grounded in the scriptures. I want you to know the doctrines of the faith because I want you to know who God is, what He's done, and who He says you are so that you're no longer defined by your feelings. You're not defined by what the world says about you, but you're defined by what Jesus says about you. And so they're intentionally encouraging and reaching back. And then, hey, you're, you're developing your spiritual gifts. And, you're, and you're, you're doing things in the church building to learn, hey, this is what your passions are. So you're asking questions. Hey, what was it like when you were serving there? What did you like? What was hard? Where did you see God work? Where did you just feel this desperation just to ask God to show up? And you're having those conversations. You're asking those questions. And then you're reaching into the chair three person. And the person who feels like, man, I want to throw in the towel. I'm trying to engage with culture I'm, I'm i'm trying to be in step with jesus but it feels like i'm just receiving a whole lot of pain that you know everyone's just kind of rejecting and I, I take it personally and this person's saying "No, no 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 they're not rejecting you they're rejecting jesus hang in there it's worth it it's worth it hang in there you're sharing in the sufferings of christ it's a beautiful thing hang in there and then when you're here It's this recognition, Jesus, I can't do anything without you. Like, you have everything I need for life and ministry. I simply need to abide in you. It's a deep, uh, relational chair of friendship. There's a wide gulf between chair two and chair three. Chairs one and two are lived in the safety of a church building. Chairs three and four are primarily lived in the wildness of culture, where you're intentionally investing in people's lives. Uh, One of the things that I find incredibly exciting about living in a post-Christian world is looking back at a pre-Christian world in the Gospels, you see the difference that these guys' lives made, right? I mean, you're the salt of the earth, the Bible says. Now, no one just keeps salt in a shaker, you know? I mean, that's like staying over here. If you just keep salt in a shaker, it'd be really weird, you know, if, if you go to some fast food restaurant and you see people just unscrew the salt shaker and dip their fries into the salt. Like, that would be odd, right? No, no, you're shaking it out. You're pouring it. That's, that's what we're doing. We're being poured out. Light in a church building, right? I mean, you, you see it. It's, it's noticeable. It's good. But light in the darkness of culture, it really illuminates. It shines that much brighter. I'm so thankful. I'm incredibly thankful that God has handpicked me and he's handpicked you at this time in our culture to be disciple makers who will engage our culture where we live, work, study, and play. And that we will reach back and intentionally pour into others in the church family and disciple them, uh, those future disciple makers as well. That's chair four. Or just intentional about discipling future disciple makers. Um, You know, you don't grow alone. Last week, the question was, uh, how are you being changed by Jesus? Jesus changes us, right? One of the ways he changes us is God the Father adopts us into the family, the family of God. So it's people coming alongside of us, encouraging us, spurring us on to love and to good deeds, to be the church who he's called us to be. We don't grow alone. And so this question becomes, hey, who's discipling me? And who am I discipling? And as you're discipling people, you're going to people in chair one. And throughout all of this, I want you to see that Jesus covers it all. Because you're speaking Jesus to these people. What do You, you need relationship with Jesus. I'm calling you to relationship with Jesus and to the family of God. I'm speaking Jesus to people in chair one. And then in chair two, I'm speaking Jesus to you. Because I want you to know who you are in Christ. I want you to know what Christ says about you. I want you to know your identity. I want you to know who he is and what he's done. I'm speaking Jesus to you. And then in chair three, I want you to live the life that Jesus lived. I'm speaking Jesus to you. He was, he's the ultimate example. Just as he took up his cross and laid down his life, so you deny yourself and you take up your Christ. You're speaking Jesus to people. And then in chair four, Jesus, you have everything I need for life and ministry. Unless I'm abiding in you, it's all nothing. You're speaking Jesus. to be Jesus covers it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that you don't just call us into relationship and then say we're good. God, but you grow us from spiritual babies to spiritual children to spiritual young adults and to spiritual adults who are mature, confident in our relationship with you because there's this deep abiding. May we be a church who disciples people in such a way that they reach that stage where you say, hey, I no longer call you worker. I call you friend. Lord, we long to be faithful friends. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the grace of your spirit or the the power of your spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.